Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 41 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. If you are a college basketball fan, you may have actually heard Johnny's story back in 2011. If you were following the Division II National Basketball Championship run, you definitely would have heard his story. Because the eventual champions from Cornerstone University dedicated their entire season to Johnny, who had been a ball boy for them with his brother in the past. For those of us who follow Division I basketball, you may have heard Johnny's story as well, as Dick Vitale told it in a basketball game. On the night that young seven-year-old Johnny was diagnosed with his brain tumor, his mom asked him if he was scared. He said he was, that he was scared that he would die. She went on to tell him the story of Gideon. Although Gideon was small and unimportant, his God was a big God, and that his God could do many big things. Johnny decided that very night that through all of his struggles and everything that was going on with him, his goal was to make God famous. The first time I read that in a news article, it actually gave me chills. To have a seven-year-old boy say that when they were scared and afraid is pretty amazing. Johnny was a pretty amazing kid who ended up having a year of pretty amazing things happen to him and meeting really amazing people. Today, nine years later, his mom talks to us about that experience and other things that she's doing even now. I have certainly talked in the past about how grief support groups can be really powerful and helpful for parents, but sometimes you don't need a support group. Sometimes you just need a grieving social group, a group that you can go to and just have fun and not necessarily have therapy or feel like you need to have a goal to get better, but just to go and socialize and have a good time. And that's what Amanda's working on right now. Amanda has reserved a dance studio here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She's hired a caterer. They have an outside porch area, so depending on the COVID um, regulations at that point in time, it can be inside or outside. She may teach a few dance lessons to parents if they're interested, but it's mainly just to get together for grieving parents to be able to talk to each other and communicate and have a fun time. 
The way to sign up for the event is through Facebook and her Facebook page, Love Never Ends of West Michigan. So I invite anyone who is local to check that out and sign up. Hopefully we can have a nice turnout and have a good time. For the rest of today's episode, though, I want you to enjoy the story of how Johnny made God famous. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show today, Amanda. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to talking to you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So why don't you start out by just telling us about your son, Jonathan? Sure. So our son, Johnny, was our second child. We have five children. And he came to us as a surprise. We had actually miscarried about three weeks before we found out that we were pregnant again. And it had been our second miscarriage. So we were pretty shocked. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So he was very active from the very beginning. I think I felt movement in, I don't know, I think it was like 13 or 14 weeks along. He was constantly moving. And then when, after he was born, he was also constantly moving. So that was kind of just who he was. He came two days before his due date. So, you know, right Mm -hmm. on time, everything looked all wonderful. He had an older brother at that point. So my husband and I were just delighted that the boys had each other Mm -hmm. grew up together. He loved to be outside and he would want to be um, not swaddled and not carried. So he wasn't a real touchy feely. He liked to be the one on the go. And um, one fun story is he was in his swing and my older son walked in, who was two at the time, walked in and my older son just loved to hold him and give him hugs. And as soon as he heard his brother's voice and he wasn't, I think probably four months old, as soon as he heard his brother's voice, he started to cry because he knew his brother was going <laughs> to So he just wasn't that kind of child. But he did, he was crawling at six months. He was on roller skates wow. at a and a half. He was pedaling his bike by two. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. He That's crazy. He didn't really have any toys. And birthdays were difficult because he didn't enjoy sitting and playing. He liked balls. That was definitely his favorite toy. And he was on, oh, he wanted to uh, use a skateboard. And so being a little more cautious than he was, I put the skateboard in the living room on the carpet. And that's where he learned how to skateboard. And I think by the time he was three, can't quite remember. I think it was between two and three. He was sitting on the skateboard, riding it down the driveway, um, gaining speed. So just, oh my, yeah, just very, that's how he was. So Mm -hmm. he, um, he did have speech delay. He had a speech apraxia. So 
he wasn't speaking on target. So he started speech therapy at three and, but he loved dress up and imagination. And so he would crawl in the therapy session as a puppy. He would come in as Spider-Man. And so he would dress up and do, you know, it's just a real fun personality, but it was under a very quiet guise Mm -hmm. because he didn't um, express very openly. Yeah. I know as a pediatrician, I've noticed and Peter had speech delay too. my youngest, it seems like kids with speech delay oftentimes are more independent, Mm -hmm. because they can't really ask for help. So they just decide they're going to do it on their own. So I've always felt that has been kind of a fun thing. And and really universally true. So Mm -hmm. so he was in started speech really young, but he and his older brother were best friends. And we would hear them up in their bedroom giggling and laughing and whatnot. And because he was so active, he had a hard time falling asleep at night. So he would wait until his brother was asleep and then he would be somewhere. <laughs> and my husband mm-hmm. would come upstairs and we would find him on the top step or five steps down on the stairs or on a the rocking chair or under the recliner. Um, so it was always these random places. That was just a fun part of his personality. Mm-hmm. He also, because he did like dress up and his younger sister like dress up, they would dr- play dress up together. So he just played the role of brother so well to the siblings that he had he did have a significant temper. So he is our oldest, has brown hair. Uh, Johnny had strawberry blonde, lots of red, Mm -hmm. all the way to white and everything in between. And then our daughter had red, red hair. And then our younger two were blondes. And so when our two redheads would get into it, we, it was. <laughs> Watch out. Uh-huh. It was always comical, but yet they loved each other dearly. So mm-hmm. he liked to earn money, but he didn't like to spend money, which that was an interesting characteristic of him. There was this one dinosaur that he wanted two years He wanted that dinosaur and he had the money, but he refused to spend the money. Oh, (laughs) so he just waited and bide his time until dad and I would spend the money for him uh, or on him. So that was kind of a fun thing about him as well. He did not laugh often. And when he did, it was usually with his brother and they would goof off and, you know, give each other wedgies and you know, all the kind of boy stuff that can be had. Mm-hmm. That was That's kind of him. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was just kind of him. Just kind of a fun kid, very thoughtful. Why don't you go forward a little bit now and talk about what happened, including a little bit ahead of that with your move, because you were moving all at the same time. So I feel like that has a lot to do with the story as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. You know, when you talk about grief, you 
you know, might isolate it to one situation of losing our child, but we had just moved. Right around this time, Michigan's economy had taken the dive and as a nation, you know, everybody was struggling. And so my husband was looking for a job and we had lived here for 20 years. We had gotten, we were married here. We had our children here. All of our family lived within two hours uh, of us and finding a new job was difficult. And I had said to my husband, what if you were offered a job out of state? And he said, I'm not interested in moving away and moving out of the area. I love Grand Rapids. He said, okay. Well, a few days later, he was contacted and six weeks later, he was offered a job. And 12 weeks later, he moved down to Northwest Arkansas. Wow. Yeah, it was very, very fast. Of all of us in the family, Johnny and I, I think, were the two in the family that saw it as an adventure. And Mm -hmm. so as my husband moved south, I talked to the kids and tried to, you know, excite them about the adventure of living someplace new. Mm-hmm. I do admit Arkansas would not have been on my radar. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was a map on the wall going down to the basement. And I really think I looked at that map at least three to four times a day just to visualize where Arkansas was in the United States. Because it just, I, I never would have guessed in a million years that that's where I was moving. Mm-hmm. We ended up living there for five years. The kids were, we, so the kids and I moved down in February mm-hmm. and we purchased a home. And I remember praying and saying, God, I have no idea what is the best community for our, our family. What is the best school district for our family? But you know what would be a good fit for us. So I can find a house. I know what I want, <laughs> what we need in mm-hmm. a house. So please put us in an area that is, is good for our family. And he did. He sent us to just this wonderful community, a small community in Northwest Arkansas. So we were very, very blessed by that. Mm-hmm. We, my plan was to homeschool the kids once we got down there, but our oldest did not want to be homeschooled. So we moved there within a week or two weeks. The two older boys went to school and they finished up the school year. Mm-hmm. And my kids. Because what grades were they in then? Uh, let me see. So Robbie was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Johnny was in first grade. Mm-hmm. They um, hadn't played any sports up at that point. I think, well, Robbie and Johnny had done t-ball I think when they were little but, our, little, but our neighbor was going to be a coach and his boys were the same age as our boys. So he kind of sweet-talked Johnny into playing ball. So 
How fun. Yeah, never having played baseball on a team where everybody had already played baseball <laughs> was a little intimidating. <laughs> but the first time I remember something just being off was during a practice. It was hot, but, you know, coach said, okay, everybody, you know, run three laps. And about the second lap in, Johnny looked at me and he goes, I'm tired. And I just thought, well, we had just moved. There was a lot going on at with the end of the school year, of course. I said, well, I said, you can do it. You can finish up this last lap. So he did. And then over the next couple weeks, just these little things started to happen. He would wake up in the morning and his eyes weren't fully open. It's like his eyelids were droopy and he mm -hmm. would be in motion and he would just stumble, fall. Something wasn't adding up in, in mm -hmm. all of that. And I mentioned something to my husband and he said, you know, let's just keep an eye on it. So we were almost done with the baseball season. Jenny had worked hard all season just to try to hit the ball. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult, you know? Right, when right. The, so we were all as a family, we went to this pizza joint called Pioneer Pizza. And we were excited to have pizza. We were excited for his game and the weather was just beautiful and Johnny was sitting in the chair and he was turned around backwards. And my husband said, Johnny, turn around and eat your pizza. And as he turned around, he fell out of the chair. And as mm -hmm. soon as that happened, my husband looked at me really starting to see what I was, I had been seeing. And so we both made mental note and said, yeah, there's something going on. Mm -hmm. Well, that game, he hit the ball for the first time. Oh, wow. Yes. So that was really exciting to have that because the very next day was the end of the year field day. And that was the day that things began to crash. So to have that memory that is so mm -hmm. sweet where he's, you know, he got to get to first base and hit the ball. That was just, that's just a really wonderful memory to cherish. Mm -hmm. Johnny was wanting a snack and he ran across the field at the field day. And as he was running back toward me, right before he got to me, he stumbled and he fell, you know, two steps wow. away from me. So I, I'm like, really something is truly not right his eye mm -hmm. had shifted as well so is as he's running toward me his head shifted his eye shifted and then his body shifted and then he was able to recorrect himself but then he fell right before he got to me so the next morning i called the doctor's office and asked if he could be seen and they said absolutely bring him in and can can you be here in 30 minutes and i thought oh my how am i gonna get four kids up and out the door in 30 minutes but i said absolutely so i i got up and what was so neat about this is the day before um my older son had had his physical and we had just moved there we had lived there three months 
Mm-hmm. So we moved there in February and this is May. And so, you know, I, I had just, I had been searching for a doctor and the day before my older son had had a physical and I met the doctor and just really liked him. So the day before is to find a doctor that quickly in, in somebody that you feel like you can trust. And, you know, that is, was the beginning of a long list of miracles that happened along the way. Mm-hmm. And all how God provided for us after being yeah. uprooted. So the doctor had actually, which I didn't know this at the time, but the doctor had done his residency at Arkansas Children's Hospital. So immediately in the room, he did a neurological assessment and Johnny didn't pass. Now, I, at that time, I didn't know what a neurological assessment was. Mm. And the doctor didn't say he was concerned. He what he did is he said, I'm going to take him out the hall. I'm going to have him walk down the hallway. And he and the PA saw hit what was going on. And the doctor came in and his concern was very obvious. And he said, don't leave. I don't want you to leave this room or leave this building until the MRI is scheduled. Mm-hmm. So I began messaging my husband and our parents and we were that doctor's appointment was at 8 30 in the morning we had an mri by 2 30 that afternoon wow yeah that's quick yep that night at bedtime johnny was scared so i told him to go in on our bed and he could sleep with us. And we were sitting there talking and our older son came in and he looked at his brother and just started to cry. And that was before you knew any results or anything? Yeah, but we all knew. Yeah. Something serious was going on. You know, after the MRI, it was almost like a relief. Like Johnny finally felt heard. And we could see all the signs and symptoms that I think he had been working so hard to fight against just to be normal. Yeah. Down. Mm -hmm. And he looked at his brother and he goes, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. And I love you. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a little window of the relationship. Yeah. So at that point, his brother left the room and I looked at Johnny and I said, how are you doing? He goes, I'm okay, mom. I said, are you scared? And he goes, yeah. I said, what are you most scared of? He goes, I'm most scared of dying. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I understand that. And I said, well, here's what I know about the God that we serve. First of all, that he loves us. But second of all, that he desires to take the little and make it amazing. 
And I said, Johnny, I said, no matter what is going on and what is happening, I said, what if you took the story of who you are and whatever is going on, and what if you wanted to do something with it? What if God wanted to do something with it? Are you going to let him? And I said, let me tell you a story about a little boy in the Bible. And so I told him the story of Gideon. Mm -hmm. Gideon said, I'm the smallest in my house. I'm the smallest everything. And God said to Gideon, but I'm a big God. Can I use you? And I had opened up my Bible and I had read the story to him. And I looked at Johnny and I said, Johnny, I said, are we going to allow God to use us to make his name famous through all of this? And Johnny said, yeah. Yeah, I want to make God famous. So that was the beginning. That night at 830, the doctor's office called, the PA actually called and said they had found a mass in his brain. And they wanted to see us at eight o'clock the next morning. Mm -hmm. My mom drove through the night. It, it was a 12 hour, well, 13 hour drive from Michigan to where we lived. And my mom drove through the night and stayed with the kids. We got to the doctor's office and he pulled up the scans, showed us the mass and it was right in the ponds in the middle of the brain, yeah. Yeah, so the, the pons is called the grand central station of the brain. So all your involuntary functions, so your breathing, your heartbeat, as you sleep, all, all that your body does happens in the pons. And in children, and especially active because they're children. And so that's how the neurosurgeon had explained it to us. We, let's see, we left the doctor's office and the doctor said, I'm referring you to Arkansas Children's, which was four hours south of us. They wanted us to be there as quickly as possible. So we went home, we threw some clothes in a bag and we were on our way and we were admitted to inpatient Arkansas Children's and we were there three days and they sent us on to St. Jude's Research mm -hmm. Hospital. So the cancer is called diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma. So mm -hmm. the diagnosis is terminal on diagnosis because of the location in the brain. It is inoperable without um, causing brain permanent brain damage. We knew we had a time frame of 12 to 24 months and that was, I think over time we did find that there were a few children who lived longer than that with some research uh, drugs, but nothing consistent was available. So he was seven at the time. We spent eight weeks at St. Jude. He had 30 radiation treatments and we were on experimental chemo. We had one of the most known brain tumor 
research doctors in the country, which is pretty amazing. And we were given many gifts along the way mm -hmm. in every shape and form possible. In the end, the story became way more significant than and impactful than we ever dreamed possible. Before that winter, before we moved down to Arkansas, my two older boys were ball boys for Cornerstone's basketball team. Mm -hmm. It's a local college here in Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it was actually where my husband and I went to college. So it was our alma mater. Oh, fun. Yeah. And the basketball team ended up winning their division championship and they had dedicated the season to Johnny. Wow. The desire to make God famous happened in a way that we, we just didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah, I read an article on that basketball team and it did sound super cool I mean they really did dedicate that whole season and the, their kind of championship run to Johnny and yeah. you had some other kind of cool things happen with that too didn't you yeah there were lot, many 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 <laughs> many things. give us some examples well, let's see one well, one of the things about the championship is it was in Branson, Missouri, which was two hours from our house, ironically. <laughs> so we were actually mm -hmm. able to be there, which is so amazing to be a part of. And Johnny actually died a month later, a month after that game. And the one radio announcer who featured this story, he won an award as a radio announcer for his story. That was pretty. Wow. Yeah, pretty neat. Johnny's story was on the Associated Press a couple of times. And one of the things that my husband and Johnny were talking one day and he said, Johnny, you know, what, what would you like to, what's something you'd like to do? He goes, I, I really want to meet a president. And so he goes, I really would like to meet President Obama. And my husband chuckling said, well, he's kind of busy right now being the president. So, you know, well, let's see what we can do about that. <laughs> so my husband had found a way to get green wristbands printed and all the basketball players wore the wristbands. And then my husband also sent some of those wristbands on to people that Johnny wanted to send them on to. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> um, one of the people was LeBron James because yeah. we're Cavalier fans in our home. Another person was President Bush and another person was Dick Vitale mm -hmm. and so these people responded 
and we ended up having money donated uh, in Johnny's name through the Jimmy V Foundation mm -hmm. um, that Dick Vitale is a part of. And he had Johnny's wristband on and during an Ohio State basketball game, which Rob was very excited about, my husband was very excited about. You know, he, he said this wristband is for a little boy. Cancer and trying to raise money for cancer research, um, pediatric cancer research. So that was one experience that we had. And he got assigned basketball too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Many, actually. Oh, did he? Many? Yeah. Um, with being don with the money being donated to one of the hospitals for research. Uh, we, my husband and I were invited to the gala, the Jimmy V Foundation gala. And so we had an opportunity to gain more basketballs and more autographs and all of that from different, different basketball um, coaches. That must've been fun for Johnny to have that collection. Yeah, we had a yeah. whole, we had Arkansas Razorbacks football signed. Oh man, I can't even think of all the basketballs we have signed. My husband would be a little more <laughs> to remember a little better than than myself. All the the sports paraphernalia um, we had. We also had the opportunity to meet President Bush due to a family connection, and so he got to meet a president. Not not the president at the time, but a former yeah. president. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So that was pretty amazing. And President Bush lives in Dallas. Well, works in Dallas. His office is in Dallas. So that was six-hour drive for us. So that was doable for us to be able to experience that. So, yeah. One of the questions is, tells you a little bit about Johnny. One of the questions well, President Bush said, Johnny, do you have any questions for me? And Johnny looked over on his wall where he had a, a picture of his family. And Johnny asked him about his family. Mm -hmm. And that told all of us like how important family was to Johnny. So that was a neat experience as well. Yeah. So... Johnny, you said, passed away. I know it was April 21st. That's actually my son's birthday, so that's why it sticks out to me okay. as being his day. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that and the time afterwards, I guess. Yeah. So we left St. Jude eight weeks after we got there. So it's kind of, I got to recalibrate my mind here. Yeah. We had lived in Arkansas for three months. We were at Arkansas Children's Hospital for three days. We were at St. Jude for eight weeks and Johnny died 11 months later. That's a, a little bit of a timeline. Johnny was eight when he died. So we had one more birthday with him. So that made our oldest was 10 and our youngest was two. We did um, the tournament at Branson and then we got home and he just steadily declined. The cancer is very aggressive. So 
over the next months, we stayed home more and more because of the location of the cancer. The children are, well, I can't say the children. Johnny was pretty immobile. Um, mm -hmm. He was paralyzed. His hearing, um, he had lost his hearing, but it had miraculously been restored and he was blind. The morning that he died, we woke up and my husband, well, I had woken up at five o'clock. Let me back up a little bit more. The night before he passed away, he, I had used signing with him for his younger years. And then we started signing again once he became sick. And so we, we, he and I were signing and I asked him if he had a headache and his way of communicating was his eyes rolled up. It was a yes and rolled down was no. And so when I asked him, I signed, do you have a headache? And he lifted his eyes up and my heart just broke. I didn't want my son to suffer. Yeah. And so that night, the next morning, I woke up at 5 a.m. and I crawled in bed with him. He was in a hospital bed right next to ours. And I just laid next to him. At that point, his body's ability to regulate temperature was gone as well. And so I just felt really warm next to him. And I ended up falling asleep for about an hour, just cuddling and being Mm-hmm. And so my husband woke up, the hospice nurse was coming at 11. My husband woke up and said, do you want me to go to work today? Cause he was working from home some days and working at the office some days. And I said, no, I would really like you to stay home. And mm -hmm. so he did. And I, we both got up and got dressed and the kids um, at that time, our oldest daughter was in kindergarten and our son was in fifth grade and they did not want to go to school. And so I said, and stay home, just stay home. Yeah. And within an hour, we're pretty sure he had a brain bleed. Within an hour, we could tell he wasn't going to be with us for very long and a friend had actually come to pick up our two younger kids to take them to preschool. And our daughter did not want to come in. And but our oldest son came running in the room, just wrapped his arms. Yeah. Around his brother and just started to scream. No, no. Don't go. Don't leave. And then he was gone. Yeah. At that point, there were many people in many churches bringing us meals and cleaning our house and yeah, taking care of us so that we could take care of each other. And so 
a friend went and picked up the younger two kids. We call them the littles. <laughs> They're 20 months apart, but they acted like twins. Mm -hmm. And so they came in the room. By then, our oldest had calmed down. And our oldest daughter had made a picture for Johnny and had put the picture on him and said goodbye. And the two younger ones came in and I said, you need to tell Johnny goodbye because he went to heaven to be with Jesus. And so they did. And then they left and they went off to play and hospicers came and the funeral home came and life changed again. Again, right? <laughs> again. Yeah, it was a very intense time for all of us. We lived in Arkansas for five years. And we moved to Michigan, back to Michigan, to the Battle Creek area. We lived there for two years. And that's when I began to homeschool the kids because it, we had just had a traumatic experience one on top of another. And so we um, didn't know when we would be moving again try to, yeah. to keep our family as whole as we could and to keep transitions down to a minimum. Uh, I, I decided to homeschool at that point. And I feel like as moms, it's, it's so, so hard when you lose a child, but there's such a fear then, I think, of more tragedy happening or more scary things happening and you you want to try to protect them as much as possible i i know your story of just listening to his older brother crying and saying no like he did that hurts so badly when you see your children hurting yeah and when you see them mourning and how their pain is because yeah. you want to take it away and you know you can't there's no way to take that away. Right. It's not possible, but it's been nine years since Johnny mm -hmm. died. And as I have worked through the healing process, what I have seen develop from that pain is something that is pretty amazing. It's yeah. There's something about each of my children because of what they've experienced that they understand something about life and they take with them wherever they go something with them that is a part that is such a deep part of them that they can't themselves even explain but it is a strength that everybody who comes in contact with them comments and well doesn't comment but everybody feels it and so many times over the years i have got 
I have received feedback about my children. Mm -hmm. And that element of confidence and strength and courage and um, kind of a resilience, you think? Yeah, there's a resilience there that is something that can't be produced otherwise. Mm -hmm. You know, with such pain worked through, it becomes a strength, right? Yes, you're right. And so that's, while I don't desire anybody <laughs> to go through what we went through, I wish, yes. you know, nobody would have to lose a child. The people that I know who have, they have something different. There is a strength in it. There is a draw to that strength. And it's something that's a little, un it's pretty mysterious and unexplainable. I agree with you. There's a specialness and a special bond that you can get with these other bereaved parents. And you're right, it's something that none of us should ever, ever have to go through. But when you do, it does change you. And in some ways, it has made me a better person. I wouldn't exchange me being a better person for Andy's life in a heartbeat. Nope. But it does happen. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Your perspective on life. Yes. Has shifted. Never the same. Never the same. And that's the voice with which we speak. So how was going through this whole grieving process without your family and being in such a new place with people that you didn't know that well? I mean, they really only got to know you after Johnny was sick. How was that? Um, the friendships that we did make ha have a depth to them. Yes. They would not have otherwise. Right. People that are willing to walk alongside you when you are going through that darkness are very special people. Yeah. And those are very special relationships for sure. Because it takes a lot to walk down that path with someone. It does. It does. I have a handful of friends that walked with me. And there are some within that group that I've had to walk with them. Ironically, many of my friends down in Arkansas either lost a child before or after we lost ours. Wow. Yeah. It does bring a special closeness, though, that I know I feel. Yeah. So the fall uh, of the school year, you know, basically, once Jenny finished up the radiation treatment, you have a honeymoon period where the radiation mm -hmm. still runs through the body. And that honeymoon period is, if I remember right, three to six months, four to six months. And he wanted to play soccer. And uh -huh. I said, okay. And I was the coach. And there was a mom whose daughter never played soccer before. And she wanted to play soccer. 
that so that's how we met and she looked at me and she goes i know nothing about soccer but i am here for you i will bring snacks i will have kids <laughs> just don't ask me anything about soccer <laughs> but you are my new best friend <laughs> uh, anyway so we became actually really good friends and our daughters became really good friends and right as we were moving to Michigan, she lost her two-year-old son, unexpected love. Oh, wow. So there are, there is a bond. Um, I have another friend whose son had had cancer as a, a baby and he passed away. Um, he had developed cancer as an adult and he passed away within a few years after Johnny died. So, so God put you with those people, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, really feel that way that those relationships being formed ahead of time like that just shows how you are able to then support them later on. Yeah. There's no accidents, no coincidence in any of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is God made famous? Was he made famous? Yes. And yes. Yes, he was. So can you talk a little bit about what you've been doing now and what you're what you're kind of hoping to work with now? Sure. So my daughter is a dancer. She's danced since she mm-hmm. was six. And when we moved to Grand Rapids, we started doing some ballroom dancing. And I started talking to some of the other dancers and there were from my knowledge there's at least four of us who lost children at the dance studio and wow that's remarkable really isn't it yes it's very remarkable one of the opportunities i've had is to do movement in the classroom and learn about the brain and so dancing is actually an amazing activity for the brain and its ability to heal and retrain itself after traumatic events like music. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I talked to a mom and I said, hey, what, what would you think about doing an event here at the studio for parents who lost children? And she was supportive and so i started putting that in motion and my friend down in arkansas who had lost her two-year-old she had done a dinner called the love never ends and had invited and there were probably at the first dinner which i was there i we still lived in arkansas there were probably seven or eight of us who lost kids there. And it was just an opportunity just to be together, just Mm -hmm. without having where everybody knew and we could just be. And so I messaged her and I said, hey, do you mind if I use the name? And she goes, it sent a heart back. And so Mm -hmm. green light. And so I called it Love Never Ends of Michigan because she had Love Never Ends of Arkansas. And I approached the dance studio. So July 11th from two to four, 
is an opportunity to connect with parents who've lost children. Mm -hmm. I have a caterer who is coming and so there'll be a light snack and it's really just an opportunity to meet and then kind of decide, hey, do we want to keep doing this every month or do we want to just do it this one time? And I am able to teach beginner dance. So, I mean, I could even teach some dance, basic dance steps if people wanted to learn that. So it's really open. I really kept it open to be what the parents want. Mm -hmm. The desire was to plan an event in honor of a child. And so this event is being planned in memory of one of the dancers sons who passed away yeah what's the name of the dance studio yeah it's the social dance studio it's on four mile four mile and alpine Mm -hmm. general area um but you can so it's mainly kind of for socializing right Mm -hmm. there may be some dance but don't feel intimidated by that nope not a bit nope Nope. And it's just for parents to kind of come and be able to feel like you can be yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I've talked about this before, how I've met some other parents and we've even had like a game night where we've done at somebody's house because you do feel more able to be yourself sometimes with other grieving parents just I don't know. I know I always feel like when I'm with in a group and a bigger group with people who know my story but don't really know me well, then I end up feeling self-conscious. Like if I am sad, I don't want to make them sad. If I am too happy, then they're going to think, oh, she's over it. She's totally fine now. Does she even miss him anymore? So it ends up being these weird variety of emotions that when you're around other grieving parents, you don't even have to think about because they all know that it's okay if I laugh and it doesn't mean that I don't miss Andy and it's okay that I cry and it doesn't mean that they've said something to make me sad, right? Right. I am feeling what I am feeling and it doesn't have to impact other people or be due to other people. It's just due to what's going on inside of me. So... I do think this is a special opportunity to get to meet other parents in a social setting. I hope it goes well. It's, it's very hard. We discussed this before we started Mm -hmm. recording in this, during this time of COVID, it's so much more frightening. I think just to try to arrange these things and do these things and know what's going to be happening. Yeah. At this point, it's a, on Facebook as a Facebook event, Love Never Ends of West Michigan. And if people want to come, they definitely need to indicate that they are going. Otherwise, I I will have to, I will end up canceling the event, which is, which is okay as well. I think that's one thing the journey has taught me is that it's, it's okay for things not to work out the way that you planned them to work out. That's yeah, well, you would not know this about us, but we had a huge Andrew Larson Memorial concert planned 
that we had completely sold out uh, tickets for. The choir was coming from England to sing. It was a huge event, and due to COVID-19, it was all canceled. So it is hard when that happens, but it's not it's not anyone's fault, and it's not – I mean, it's just the way it is, right? Yeah. So if yeah. – if things end up not working out, it doesn't mean it won't work out for another time as well, right? Absolutely. So I do want to thank you for sharing your story today. I really do think that you, your family, and Johnny made God famous. Thank you, Marcy. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.